Hello, and welcome to Coaches on the Rise, the podcast for all coaches of all sports. I'm your host, Celia Slater, and today we're interviewing Kelly Graves, the head women's basketball coach from the University of Oregon. And last year, Kelly guided his team to the first ever Final Four appearance for their program. So what I love about this interview is he shares a lot of the behind the scenes, some challenges that were with that journey. What's it like to coach player of the year, Sabrina Ionescu? Um, Just some really wonderful insights. I think you're gonna enjoy him, his philosophy, his path to getting to where he was, his sense of humor. Um, I really very much so enjoyed my time talking to Kelly and I think you'll enjoy this interview as well. So now let's go on to the show. So, Kelly, this podcast is for coaches of all sports. So they might not know a little bit uh, too much about your background or, you know, how you got to Oregon and those types of things. Do you mind just giving us a little snapshot on your your little stops along the way before you got to Oregon? Start well, with where you played, where you okay. played. Okay, uh, sure. I, I played at the University of New Mexico uh, for a coach named Gary Colson, mm-hmm. who uh, I admire and stay in touch uh, with this, you know, up till now, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I still rely on, on him from from time to time for advice and uh, guidance, and and uh, he always seems to come through. That's actually where I let, met Larry Shiat. Larry, mm. who you know, yes, Le- yes, Larry. was the assist- was his assistant coach, and so I've known Larry since way wow. back in the you know, mid mid eighties. It really is um, a small world. Isn't it, it is. Yeah, I didn't didn't know if I wanted to coach. I my uh, brother is an attorney, and so I thought I actually wanted to, to go into to law. Mm-hmm. And uh, I took the LSAT, and it was on game day. We were playing at Colorado State, and uh, you know they had set up a private plane for me to fly up to Fort Collins from Albuquerque after the test, so I could get to the game. I wasn't a great player, but I was a starter and an important part of what mm-hmm. we were doing. Mm-hmm. And it was a big game. Well, the test dragged on and on and on and on, and I didn't get to complete like the last section and a half. So obviously I didn't get a very good score on my LSAT, but I wanted to stay at law school right there at New Mexico, and I figured, okay, I'm a basketball player you know, in a high-profile program. They're going to let me. Uh, well, they didn't. They wanted me. They knew what had happened. They wanted me to take the test again, and I, I just thought that was God's way of telling me that maybe I should do something else. But uh, as soon as I was done as a, uh, you know, my senior year, I stayed on uh, to finish some, some school work and start some graduate work, and so I was a graduate assistant for a year. Uh, then the coaching staff was let go, and, and uh, my old high school coach was a community college coach up in Washington, and he asked me to come up and help him coach. He could get me a, a teaching job there on campus, and, and so I did it. I'd never been to Washington, so I thought, okay, what the heck? I'll go up there, and I, and, um, and I coached with him, and about a week before school started, the women's coach had quit. And uh, by the way, my salary, that first job, you know what it was? Twelve hundred and fifty dollars. Fifteen hundred dollars, maybe. Yeah, twelve hundred fifty yeah. on the season, mm-hmm. or for the season. So I was plowing potato fields at five a.m. every morning, uh, just to you know make ends meet. And I was staying for a hundred dollars at one of the boosters in their basement. Uh, but uh, about a w- week before uh, school started, the women's coach had quit, and it was a program where they'd lost like fifty-five straight league games. It just wasn't very a uh, very good program, but. It paid $2,500, and they didn't really have time to open the position up, so they just asked me, well, would you like to do it? And I, 
you know, I'm not the brightest guy, but I did the math. A thousand dollar raise, just like that. <laughs> and they actually told me I could stay with, you know, helping the men as an assistant and then and then be the head women's coach. And, uh, you know, we, we played a lot of doubleheaders. So I did it, loved it. Um, again, you know, it just kind of let, you know, I just kind of fell into another, it. Right? And um, so I stayed there for three years. We built a really good program and moved on as, uh, as an assistant coach at the University of Portland for five years. And... And after those five years, you know, I worked with Jim Sollers and, uh, you know, just a great guy. And I, I learned a lot, especially about life balance from him mm-hmm. and uh, life-work balance. And, um, and then I, I got the, the head job at St. Mary's College in Moraga, California. Went down there for three years. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, we'd have three little boys. And uh, so, where did you meet your wife? Was she at uh, Washington at the gym when you were at the She gym? was at Portland. Okay. Yeah, she was at Portland. And so, uh, but after three years, she just wasn't really happy. And I know we can talk about this a little mm-hmm. bit. She wasn't really happy in California. It was busy, expensive. And when you have three young ones, it, it just life was a little tougher. Mm-hmm. And I didn't make a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, that's when Gonzaga had opened up. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and Mary gave me the uh, well, honey, if you love me. We'll, we'll take we'll, that job. We, yeah, we'll take that job. So then we moved to Spokane, and, and I was the head coach at Gonzaga for 14 years. And then, you know, after 14, I just felt like I needed to do something else. And mm-hmm. um, and I'd had opportunities to leave prior to that, but Oregon was really the only position I wanted. And when you that knew came, that, like, ahead of time? I did. Like My wife's was... born and raised in Portland. Her three brothers live in Portland. Her dad lives in Portland. We have a lot of friends and family down there. And so... Um, you know, it uh, that I took that job. So mm-hmm. I've been now five years, be starting my sixth year at Oregon. So there's your journey in a nutshell. That's under, lots of ups is, and downs and yeah. lots of stories in between that uh, that are really interesting and, mm-hmm. and really have made me the coach I am. Oh, that's today. great. You know, it's you you brought up your wife. I was going to ask that about yeah. it later, um, but I was reading an article that they were talking about your family and how they're all kind of involved in the program and um, like if. If you had to give advice to a young coach like that really wants to, you know, break into this profession and, and, and I I find now that I'm working with male and female coaches that it's like it both genders are stressed about yeah. you know, the work life balance. I mean the children and the rearing of the children typically fall onto the women coaches a little bit more. Um, but I think, you know, just did you and your wife like, or do you think like I always tell them it's the best, most important decision you make is who you marry or who you get into a relationship with if you're a coach. Absolutely. I mean, what what do you think has made your relationship so successful? Well, I think number one, she knew what she was getting into. <laughs> you know, all her brothers are, are athletes, and she comes from a family that you know that that's a big part of what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, she got advice from like my my first athletic director from his wife saying. Mary, do you know what you're getting Getting yourself into? into? (laughs) So, uh, yes, so there was a little history there. Uh, I have really tried to to, to live the kind of professional life that allows me to be a a very good um, husband and father. You know, sometimes I'm deficient in both of those areas, Mm -hmm. but I I just am, uh, and and I would tell any young person, you know, just make sure that, that you have the balance, your, your professional life and your family life and your social life. I think it's all important. I can be a better coach, Celia, when I'm a better father and husband. Mm-hmm. I can, I think, be a better father and husband 
you know, when I'm a better coach. Mm-hmm. I think it all works hand in hand. If you're too much of one and not enough of the other, then things get out of whack, and that's when you know relationships break down, either with your team or with your family. So mm-hmm. I just think it's critical that you keep those two things in balance and and work at both. It's hard. It's hard. It does. It takes and, time uh, and energy for both, right? Yeah, and I've had losing seasons on both. Yeah, <laughs> you know, with the team, <laughs> and sometimes with the family. And one yeah. of the things you know, I get this question all the time when I'm out speaking to different groups. You know, what what's the toughest part about being a coach? And it's family. Family mm-hmm. time. I mean, mm-hmm. I've missed my, you know, son's games and, you know, plays at school and other events, and uh, because I can't change the game time, you right. know, right. so that's just part of what we do, mm-hmm. and uh, we have to live with that and then make up for it when right. we can. Yeah, absolutely. I um, we were having this conversation at the Women Coaches Academy one year, and I said to the coaches, I said, look, my parents didn't come to every single event you know like and I feel like I turned out you turned out just fine I turned out just fine and and because I felt like they all these women were talking in the room like they feel so much guilt and they feel so much this and and I get it I, I don't have children so I don't necessarily know exactly what it's like to walk in those shoes I just said to them I said look no matter what you do your kid's going to need a therapist at some point in their life. <laughs> I mean, you can love them all you yeah. want. Somebody's going to break their heart. Somebody's going to do yeah. something. You know, you can't you can't be the perfect parent. You know, do the best you can, you know, yeah. and you're not going to make it to every event. That's not going to be the end of the world, you yeah. know. I mean, I can remember being doing events and my parents weren't there, mm-hmm. you know. Sure, me too. I think it was different yeah, when, when we were yeah. yeah, when we were at that age, but I'm I am really blessed that my wife loves my team so we have, we speak in terms of family all the time in our program and I, I truly do believe I have two families I have the the one at home and then mm-hmm. you know the one with the team and and they have combined and just fused into one o- over the years but my wife is the best assistant coach I've ever had I mm-hmm. think over the years my teams have been you know the, the players have been far more comfortable going to her for advice and uh you know, and other issues that they might have uh, for counsel than they do me. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. And I rely on her a lot. You know, mm-hmm. if I have a, you know, some personnel issues or, you know, just something that's come up within the team, I, I throw things off her and she's usually right on. My three sons are basketball junkies, mm-hmm. NBA, WNBA, college men's and women's basketball. They are just into it. That's who they are, you know? And, uh, and, and they love my team. Mm-hmm. And they have grown up. When, this is, I think, to me, one of the greatest things about being a, a coach of a women's basketball a team. My boys have grown up to respect women, mm-hmm. to not be afraid of women. <laughs> you know, a lot of boys go through that stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're around them so much and have been babysat by my team you know, over the years that they're very comfortable around them. They respect them as athletes. You know, and, mm-hmm. and you and I both know we've got those those haters out there sure. that just you know don't think that because we dunk can right. play the game, uh, and so they they've grown up with a really healthy perspective on on you know on all the I think the the, the just the genders I, I think mm-hmm. it's been really important and I'm proud of that and mm-hmm. I and I love that they uh, love my team and are a big part of it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that that's really great because I do think if you want to have longevity in the career which you obviously have had you have to have that you know mm-hmm. i mean if if that's a goal if that's a high value for you like you know some people may be happy single their mm-hmm. whole life and coaching but you know the ones that want that 
it's like I think that's really what helps people have that longevity which I think we're seeing less and less of that longevity in the in the careers do you think or do you think yeah I, I know that there are some really talented people that have left the profession mm-hmm. and that's too bad mm-hmm. you know we need them yeah. because we want the product to be as good as possible and actually I think I, I'm really excited about the um the number of female coaches that are going into the NBA mm-hmm, love mm-hmm. that that at some point is going to leave a void of coaches in college yeah because yeah. I think a lot more are coming yeah. and I think that's great that's the way it should be mm-hmm. you know we, we should I hope that very soon it it isn't even a story yeah, anymore exactly you know but I, still um, is I was um, you know when you look at the statistics right now, you know, like where 40% of women's teams are coached by women and less than 5% of men's teams are coached by women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I, I really feel like that 5% is a pretty glaring statistic to me because it feels like it's okay for men to coach women, but it's really not okay for women to coach men. And so I'm like what you're saying, like it makes me very hopeful that we are starting to see that shift Mm -hmm. because I, I personally think that there are women that would enjoy and be successful coaching men, you know, just as much. And I think part of it's just breaking down some of the unconscious bias that that some men have around women where they were raised that women were less than or that the worst thing you could be is a girl, you know, like growing up. And and, uh, so I I just find it fascinating, you know, Mm -hmm. to see how that all shifts. Because to me, when that all shifts... I think then we'll start seeing doors open for women on the men's side and on the women's side as well um, because I think more of these male ADs that we have will also, um, you know, have a shift in their perspective, hopefully. I agreed 100%. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the day's coming. You know, yeah. we're probably still a ways away from yeah. it. But I've never understood. Now, you tell me, mm-hmm. okay, and I, mm-hmm. I got to know her a little bit, coached against her uh, several times. You tell me Pat Summit couldn't have been a great coach of males oh yeah you, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? no doubt and she, no doubt she, and, and many others you know um you could could do it there, yeah. there's no question about it mm-hmm. it's just it's going to take you know somebody to to, to take that chance well don't and, you feel and it's like, coming yeah don't you feel like too like um, if you went to apply for a men's job, I mean, that there would even be some bias towards you. I mean, even though you've coached men, I mean, you had, they played, you know, and you've coached men for a little while, but is it, do you feel like you would have Celia, that same bias? I feel it all the time mm-hmm. in, in gatherings with men's and women's coaches and, and they don't do it to be, you know, it's just, you know, they're not trying to be mean or anything or try to, uh, uh, discount me, but, oh, sure. It, it you know, we still feel that way, mm-hmm. and, and there's still a, a definite bias. Mm-hmm. Look at this, you know, clinic I'm doing here. I, I'm I'm thrilled. I'm the only women's coach on the on the uh, agenda. on the agenda, right? And um, mm-hmm. you know, that's unfortunate because there's some really really good coaches. But I'm really looking forward to this. <laughs> this is I know this is week. great. I'm I'm hoping I can get over there and and listen to your your talk with all of them. Do you remember the moment you decided I want to be a coach? I don't think there was any one moment. You just knew? You just knew that's what you wanted to be? I just, you know what? My first year at Big Bend Community College, Mm -hmm. I loved that team. Mm -hmm. We were awful. We went four (laughs) and like 25 or something. I don't even know what the Uh the record was. 
but I'm as close to that group as, as any mm-hmm. that, that I, you know, and that was, wow, that was 1989. I can't even do the math. That was a long time ago. And, you know, we still stay in touch. Uh, we weren't great, but it didn't matter. It didn't, you know, kill my joy of, of teaching the game. I just found that particular group, and they're the ones that really sold me on the profession, that they're just a lot more fun to coach. They're a lot more fun to be around on a daily basis. By and large, they're better students. You don't have to really worry about mm-hmm. them in the classroom. And they were open to coaching. They appreciated it. Mm-hmm. And I just, um, you know, and I think we had two or three players on that team that have gone on to win state championships as as coaches. And, uh, and they've gotten into the profession. So, yeah, I think I knew after that very first year, and I was still coaching men, that this is for me. Mm-hmm. It, it fit who I was and how I liked to be coached as a player. I was a lot into the process. Not, And I think with female athletes, that's a big part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the process of being together and, and working towards something I think is more powerful in, in women's basketball than it is in men's basketball. Mm-hmm. And so it just fit me. And yeah. I think after that year, I was, I was in. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking back um, on your career, what, what advice do you think you would give your 25-year-old self if you look back on it? Is it's a there... Brett Ledbetter question. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I see what you're doing here. Uh, to, you know, I wish I was early on how I am now. I'm, I have a, a greater perspective. Mm-hmm. To me, early on, I was a lot more about the final outcome and and, uh, and coaching to win games mm-hmm. than I am now. Mm-hmm. I still obviously coach to win and want to win, but to me it's the building of the relationships has become more powerful in the last several years. So I wish mm-hmm. I, I, I would have gone back and told that young man, you know, listen, you know, build your family, your basketball family, and be then just, okay, got to win, got to win, got to win. Mm-hmm. And... Um... Would you, how would you summarize, like obviously you've mentioned a couple of your role models, your mentors, you know, as you move through your career Mm -hmm. and, you know, we really don't train coaches in our country. So, you know, you're kind of developing on your own and figuring out how to do it on your own and the people that surround you obviously then make a huge impact Mm -hmm. on the coach that you become. Um, Do you, like... how much did those people influence you, and and what? How would you summarize your coaching philosophy if you could summarize it? Um, wow, that's a that's a really good question. There's a lot of different ways I can go with it. Well, first of all, I basketball wise, I learned a lot from each of the coaches, and I continue mm-hmm. to learn this day. I mm-hmm. I met with some coaches in Atlanta, two sets of coaches this morning mm-hmm. before I drove down here to Gainesville to just. You know, pick their brains on how they do things. I, 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 I love, think, think I'm a lifelong learner. But I, I've taken a little bit of everybody I, I played for. Gary Colson was just a, a really nice, gentle man. And um, he was a cerebral coach. He was never a fiery, let's, you know, come on, we got to go out and win one for the Gipper. He was never like that. And I, I'm not like that. You know, and if you've seen me coach, I kind of sit down mm-hmm. on the bench a lot. Mm-hmm. And I let my team play. I don't mm-hmm. get too animated unless those referees you know start driving me nuts but um there's a few and so i like that cerebral approach if you come into our locker room before a game you're not going to hear a real rah-rah speech that's going to wear off by game time anyway Mm -hmm. so you want you know you want them to be confident you want them to know the game plan what's expected of them and, and things like that i remember my coach gary used to always say you know if we 
if we win, we'll be humble, and if we lose, we'll be sad. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he, he lived his life that way. Uh, later on with Jim Sollers, uh, you know, Jim was, he, he had a life outside of coaching. He had great balance, a really strong family unit, and uh, yet he was really into, into the coaching as well. Mark Poth at Big Band, you know, Mark was uh, uh, an, uh, an offensive coach. And I love that. So early on, I played for him and then coached with him. And so guess what? I'm a really offensive-oriented coach. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, I've learned from my assistant coaches. I've learned from, uh, you know, like I said, other coaches around. I've learned from my players. They've taught me probably far more than I've taught them. Mm-hmm. You know, they've taught me how to compete and how to, to be a psychologist and how to, to, to be a father figure and, you know, lots of, you know, a coach is just not a coach. No. You yeah. know that. Scene. No, I know. We're that. a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, those that just coach, mm-hmm. I think, fall short. Exactly. So would you say then that your philosophy is a little bit more like around focusing on the relationships or, or is there something in the Ducks locker room that says what your philosophy is or is there anything like when you go to recruit that you know, you would say to the, the athletes and their parents? I, I think the relationship mm-hmm. and uh, that, that component, I think, is, is the most important. You know, our, our uh, so-called values, you know, thankfulness and servanthood and passion and humility. And, you know, th- those are kind of our core values. Those mm-hmm. are what we believe in. It's not toughness, discipline, hard work, you know. Mm-hmm. That hopefully comes with it. But if you're not thankful and if you're not... Um, you know, humble about what you do. And, you know, I, I think it's hard to be a really good teammate. So I've really tried to focus la- later in my mm-hmm. career on those kind of things. Mm-hmm. We're in it together. I, I tell my team they can call me Kelly. You know, I, I got no, they don't have to call me coach or, you know, mm-hmm. some choose to and most choose to, but they can call me Kelly. I, I view us as peers. You know, mm-hmm. I'm their coach and there is that line, but at the same time, we're peers. We're in this together. It's not coaches versus players. I remember early on in my marriage, Mary and I used to di- uh, disagree and sometimes, you know, <laughs> strongly, strongly disagree about how to uh, about how to discipline the boys, right? Because they're boys, and you know, after we'd we'd argue a little bit, and Mary would always say, "You know, honey, call me honey. You know, honey, <laughs> we're on the same team." And so I try to have that same approach with my players, and I think that's why most leave their career as satisfied with with their experience. Mm-hmm. Has there been any part of you that you feel has changed over the years in either how you deal with the players or, or how you coach or, you know, as you've grown and matured, is there anything that's shifted or you feel like you've pretty much been the same, same, you know, Kelly all your life? Yeah, no, I've changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, you're still to the core the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, Celia, I think I've learned to love better. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. sounds corny. Not to me. I, I think mm-hmm. I have learned to love better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that's made me a better coach. Fantastic. I, I want to be more invested in, in who they are and who they become. My coach, I loved it. Gary used to say, I'd ask him, you know, or people would ask him, Coach, how's the team going to be this year? And he goes, you know, I don't know, but I'll tell you in 25 years. Mm-hmm. Right. Because he believed he was building men, men right. you know, and, right. uh, and not just winning games. So mm-hmm. I've tried to take that approach more. Well, I think you've answered this next question for me because um, the question is, you know, we we always talk to the the athletes about what are your superpowers? What do you bring to this team that, you know, no one else can bring? And so it sounds like 
some of your superpowers are really caring, connecting with your athletes, um, offensive-minded, so that might be your superpower <laughs> basketball-wise, um, and just the relationship aspect, you know, and I think, would you agree? Would you say that that's your superpowers then as a coach? Uh, well, I'm pretty, yeah, I've got no superpowers. But <laughs> oh, come I on, I'm I see the cave. I see those, the cave. Yeah, no, yeah, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that uh, uh, yeah, I, I think so, yeah, and, that, and yeah. I have evolved. Yeah. You know, I, right. I, I've gotten better in that area, and I, I need to continue to get better. We all do mm-hmm. in in those areas, but yeah. So leading into that, um, I'm always curious on coaches' philosophy around feedback, and you know, how do you get feedback as a coach? Because you know. I don't really know a lot of athletic directors at this point at your level that actually coached, you know, and so you're in a more business, and I'm not trying to come down on the ADs, it's just, you know, it just seems like at your level there should be a coach's coach as an administrator in the athletic department who was a former coach who, you know, could really relate to the coaches, you know, but I just am curious, like, how you get feedback for yourself to improve and how open are you to feedback from your staff and your athletes? And do you go through that process at the end of the year? Yeah, I think uh, self-evaluation is important and, and peer evaluation. I, I, yeah, I'm open to all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we don't get it a ton from our uh, athletic department per se. You know, my administration, they're super supportive, but yeah. they don't come at it from the, from the coaching perspective. Um, yeah, I get feedback after pretty much every loss from fans, yeah, you know, yeah, who yeah. write me little emails uh-huh. and uh, and texts as to how I could do things differently and better. Mm-hmm. Uh, those usually just go in the, mm-hmm. yeah, right. you know, yeah, file the, the yeah. trash. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I try to be open and, and mm-hmm. honest and uh, and open to uh, you know to to criticism and and advice from mm-hmm. players and you know we have our end of the year meetings and I always ask them you know how can I coach you better because mm-hmm. I want to be effective you know I think a good coach is going to bring out the absolute best in a player and we don't sometimes know mm-hmm. what that key is and sometimes it's tough to find and they may not tell us but we at least search for it yeah I just I'm I'm always curious about it because I just I don't know where coaches get that like you know like you're you're an athlete. You, you play every day you're at practice the coaches are constantly giving you feedback on how you mm-hmm. get better and then you become a coach and there's like silence <laughs> you know there's That's like a great point you know it's like where do where do coaches yeah. get feedback and and so like i i'm curious on that and in a systematic way that's not punitive you know because the way i see it now in working with coaches the way they get feedback are student athlete exit interviews mm-hmm. win-loss record and maybe schools care about the graduation rates um and their fans you know but beyond that like how do you get feedback every year that's going to say um you know how to help you get better like you know well i've got a great idea now for your next venture (laughs) what's that establish uh you know a feedback method yes Yes. a, a group that you know can can help coaches uh get better in that yeah. way there you go that's my job. I want to cut that's what I do okay well there you go All right. <laughs> we'll have a drink after this okay <laughs> we'll talk um but anyway so I was just curious because some coaches like have very systematic you know ways and how they do that you know and gather that information sounds like you again come back to the relationship aspect 
and just ask them for feedback on how to become a better coach. Yeah, and we watch. You know, we yeah. watch every game again once mm-hmm. or twice or ten times. Mm-hmm. So you know, you hopefully can learn and get better from that. Mm-hmm. So um, moving like to your players and how they would view you, like well, if you had to guess, what do you think three to five words that they would use to describe you? Uh, competitive. I, I would like to think they would say uh, loves me, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, loving, loving, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, thankful. I don't know who the audience is. Hard ass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't always show that yeah. in public, but mm-hmm. you know, in, in the back. Uh, fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say all the bad ones. I don't, like, <laughs> no, no, I don't no, want no, to no. give anybody no, that's ideas. Great. That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. I, I'm di- I do hear this. I'm different off the court than I am on the on court. court. Uh-huh. I'm a really pretty business-like on the court. But then off the court, I really, I, I think I can compartmentalize those two and switch into a different role. And sometimes it takes them a while mm-hmm. to, to figure that out. The young kids don't quite get it. Well, boy, he sure acts differently away from them. But then, oh, man, he's like into it on the court. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes them a year or two. And yeah. the older kids say, oh, you know, don't, mm-hmm. that's who he is. And, yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the other things that you hear so much, you know, about is this positive team culture, positive team culture. You know, like, what what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Like, and what is it? Like, what, what creates it? What does it come from? And, and, and you obviously have a positive team culture. What do you think? Is it knowing those values and everybody kind of buys into them? How do you get them to buy into it? Yeah. Well, that, that's hard. I mean, that's uh, one of the toughest things about coaching is to really get them to buy in. Once they do, then you've got the program, you've got the culture in place, but it's ever-changing. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we go through just as much negativity and, and, and negative experiences as any other team. I think it's how you handle it, and that, that comes down to your leadership, not from the coaches, per se, but from the, from the players themselves. Uh, but just because you have a, a positive program doesn't mean we're going not going through hardships and and downtimes and personnel issues and all those kind of things. Uh, but I think if, if you have a strong culture and, and players who truly love each other, then you can handle it differently. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, the outcome, and, and, you know, I, I think leads to more positive uh, mm-hmm. effects than if you have a bad culture and when bad things happen, then, you know, you spiral into the abyss mm-hmm. or you can um, yeah, I, I really, honestly, Celia, I rely on my team a ton. I, I don't solve a lot of the, the issues, you know. I think uh, I'm really open about it. I think that's one of, you know, when you talk about maybe the differences between, uh, I think, uh, males and females. And I might be totally wrong. This is my experience, so okay. I'm not saying... You have a lot of experience, okay. so you are free to say that. I, I think one of the things that, that I have an advantage of being a male, when I played, okay... There were times when I physically confronted another teammate and we came to blows or, you know, ready for it. As soon as practice is over, we put our arm around, let's go have dinner. It's done, it's over, forgotten. I think sometimes with, with women, that's mm-hmm. not the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they, uh, they hold a grudge maybe a little bit more. And again, this is my experience. I don't want mm-hmm. anybody to... No, and no. then and then they start to take sides and get allies and before you know it you have a full blown yeah. 
yeah. you know, problem. Civil war in your program. Yes, and I think one of the advantages I have is a, as a male, I've, I've been through, I understand that. We deal with it then and there, and I let them know if I hear anything else about this, then, we, then we're really going to have issues. Right. It's forgotten. So I, that dynamic, I think, is, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something that, that you have to, you know, uh, I think be open about mm-hmm. right on the spot. Yeah. I know we have some coaches that have a 24-hour rule, like just kind of walk up to them and say, hey, you guys need to talk this out in the next 24 hours. If you don't, then I'll step in yep. and I'll, I'll mediate, but you yeah. need to figure this out and get it over with, right? And when you have strong leadership like, you know, Sabrina Ionescu and uh, Ruthie Heber and those players, when we have issues, personnel, you know, maybe they're they're not, you know, holding up their, their end uh, in terms of working hard or, or whatever, I just say, hey, we we've got to work on this. It's more powerful when it's coming from their peers than it is from their coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so we're fortunate to, to have that kind of a, a culture and those kind of leaders in the mm-hmm. program. And like, you know, in talking to some of your former assistant coaches, you know, like it seems like you give them a really big role. Like you give them a lot of, you know, leeway and, you know, they do their job, you do your job. And, and do you feel like, you know, you're intentional in that? Yep. And are you intentional in that because you see their gifts and you want them to develop? I mean, is it all about helping them grow as well? Or? All of the above. I think that's why a lot of my former players and, and former coaches are out there now coaching all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I think that's important. Yeah. I mean, I'm not here to say I know everything. I don't. Mm-hmm. And so I rely on my staff. Uh, you know, our program would be lost without Jody Berry. Mm-hmm. You know, she mm-hmm. she is is the glue that keeps you know our staff together and our team together. And, and I'm more than willing to give her the credit and uh, and and you know lots of the uh, uh, the yeoman share of the workload. But mm-hmm. yeah, all my all my coaches bring a, a different uh, strength, and I think uh, as a coach, you you need to manage that and, and allow them to coach. And, and I think, like, going back to the whole feedback piece is, um, you know, like, how do they grow and how do they learn? Because I've, I've watched assistants, you know, that move on to be a head coach, and it's such a huge difference going from this chair to that chair. And <laughs> you they think? Have, they have no idea, you know. It's like yeah. the responsibility is just overwhelming, you yeah. know. And so I, I wonder how many head coaches actually are intentionally – Developing those those coaches so that they're ready for the best the, for the most part to when they want to move to that other chair. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, when they do get that opportunity and they've worked for me, they feel like they're ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always there to support them and help them after they they get that job. And mm-hmm. you know, I look at J.R. Payne, who's the head coach at University of Colorado. We talk all the time, and and I, you know, and she's helped. She still helps me, you know, mm-hmm. to this day. She played for me and coached with me, and now she's. A competitor, yeah, you know, yeah. we're going head to head. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I love that, but, uh, but yeah, I just think you know, I, I, you're always there for each other. And um, mm-hmm. we started doing this, um, like a little bit of a program where we help the assistant coaches that have gone through our programs to transition into those head coaching positions, mm. you know, and just kind of mentor them because. Like, even down to the smallest, well, it's not a small detail, but some people kind of overlook it as your first team meeting with the team when you first get together with them. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how do you want that to be? Like, what kind of impression do you want to make? And, you know, just walking through the first 90 days of being with your team, being with the administration, you know, all these types of things, because 
And I, I got to tell you, they have been so grateful because they automatically feel overwhelmed. Like, oh, yeah. oh boy, you know, like, uh, and just trying to help them get their organizational structure yeah. put together for their program and how they're going to, you know, organize everything. It's just like, whoa. See, that's valuable stuff. I mean, I and I haven't thought of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's that's really important. Yeah. So one of my former assistants, Julie Shaw, yeah. she thinks you're an absolute rock star. Well, I think she is too. So <laughs> well, she is, I do too. She is, and yeah. she thinks you're a rock star. But, so we're, um, we have a love fest together. Yeah, <laughs> but um, that those that's great, great advice and help mm-hmm. for, for young coaches. Because I, awesome. I, I wish that coaches did more personal coaching. Like, you know, like in the corporate world, it's a little more popular, you know, to have a mm-hmm. coach, a business coach or a, a, a professional coach outside of your job, you know, to kind of help you through these these situations. Do some university, you were talking before about an athletic director, you know, they, they don't really come from the coaching ranks mm-hmm. anymore. But do you think it's beneficial that they have somebody at the senior uh, a, uh, associate AD level that is kind of a coach for the coaches. I mean, mm-hmm. Is that a position that could go? Do some do it? Well, I, I do don't some know. have positions like that. I don't know. I do know more and more schools. Like you know, here at the University of Florida, you know, they invest. Like uh, I run the program for the assistant coaches here. Once a month, we get together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett runs the coaching collaboration for the head coaches here, um, and so they invest here at Florida in their coaches. You know, in their yeah. development. Um, but otherwise, I just feel like if at your level, especially if, if you're going to kind of have this corporate feel, I don't know many corporations that don't have an onboarding process mm-hmm. or, a, or, a, or a training and development department. And so it just seems like we invest a ton into that student athlete experience. So mm-hmm. like. Yeah. We, and we should, you know, that mm-hmm. should be the most important thing, their welfare, their experience, no all doubt. that kind of stuff, no doubt. I just feel like if they would just take a little bit of that and invest in the people who have the biggest impact on that experience and, and, and invest in them and develop them and just have classes mm-hmm. and ongoing and encourage the coaches from all sports to gather and share ideas and cross-pollinate, so to speak, yeah. you know, and it's like such a missed opportunity to me that you guys don't get together more yeah. and share ideas, you know. I think that last point you made is, is critical, mm-hmm. and I think there are some that do it in, in you know, the better, the, the, the stronger athletic departments, you know, with, uh, with top to bottom really good programs. I, mm-hmm. I think they probably do some of that, but right. that's valuable. I, I used to tell, when I, my first uh, Division One job was an assistant at the University of Portland. Mm-hmm. You know, a person I really looked up to there was a, a man named Clive Charles, and Clive oh, I know that name. he he was the director of soccer mm-hmm. for both the men's and women's program. They both competed and won national championships. So they were competing at the highest level. Oh right, right, right. And, yeah, yeah it was, and uh, I Rapino learned so. For him, right, Megan Rapino didn't she play for him? She came after, after him, but him, Tiffany okay. Milbrett, Shannon okay. McMillan. Oh yeah, a lot uh, of yes, former national players. Exactly, yeah, okay. that were on that ninety nine team. Ninety nine, uh, right? Played for him, and I learned so much from him because he was such a com- great communicator. Mm-hmm. He could communicate with the CEO of, of the, our biggest donor, donors company and a little seven-year-old camper and just uh, the, the same. And so, yeah, I think uh, that, that's a great idea for, mm-hmm. for departments to really share, you know, the, the, mm-hmm. especially these big departments have very successful coaches. They should be working with the other programs yeah. best they can. Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't like the sense where 
Um, it can, and, I, and this is an overgeneralization because I don't think every school is like this. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that sense that coaches feel that they're expendable. You know, like mm-hmm. we're not going to really invest. We're going to give you everything you need to do to win, but you're expendable. And if you don't win, you're out of here. Whereas if you really invested in the people, you know, and they felt that, I feel like they would just do amazing, amazing things. Because if you're a coach and you feel that way, the interesting thing is it trickles down to your athletes because then your athletes become expendable. And if they don't produce, they're out of there or they're not going to play until they transfer. And and now we have... And and they can feel, you spend so much time with your student athletes, they can feel and they know when you're feeling pressure and you're not getting the support you need as a coach and you're in a being expendable or you better win this year. They pick up on that and then it puts more pressure on them because they feel like it's their fault. Exactly. And so I, I think you're right. I think mm-hmm. if there's a level of support and, mm-hmm. you know, outwardly mm-hmm. show that to the to the coaches that it might make the whole thing go a little bit better, better right? right. And totally. I mean, I think you invest in your people and yeah. whatever you give your time, your money, and your energy to is, is a high value for you in your department. So just if you want to see what they value, yeah. where are they putting their money? Yeah. And that'll tell you a lot, you know, I think. Yeah. But um, I would be really remiss if I didn't talk a little yeah. bit about this past season. Cool. And congratulations. I mean, Thank what you. a year. Thank I mean, you. what a ride. I mean, and I know like at Gonzaga, you came close twice, right? You were in Elite Eight twice at Gonzaga? We were there once. Once, yeah. okay. And, okay. Uh, and uh, two times to the Sweet 16. Okay. And so, okay. yeah, we had built something pretty special there, too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and you had, I mean, what I remember about your plays at Gonzaga, man, what they were bite your kneecaps off kind of, you know, D, you know, they played great defense. Yeah. They played, you know, just with a high level of intense, you were overachievers. I mean, you had, you had some really, really great players to just play with a ton of heart. Yeah. We were allowed to play with a chip on our shoulder, you know, because mm-hmm. we weren't a power five team. They, yeah. they still call us a mid-major, even mm-hmm. though we could beat pretty much most mid-majors mm-hmm. <laughs> or most major programs at that time. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was a great time. I yeah. I really enjoyed coaching. There was hard to leave. Yeah. It was truly hard to leave, oh. and and I wouldn't have left if if it weren't for this one position. It right. just it was the time to go. Right. I had uh, we had, we had won ten straight championships at Gonzaga my last mm-hmm. ten years, and you get to a point because think about it. When was the last so called non power five? We won't call them mid major non power right. five team to make a final four on the women's side was 2001 jackie styles with south missouri Missouri state State, right and it's not happened since it happens a lot in the men's side but not on the women's side and so if you want to compete for a national champion championship and build that kind of a program i just felt i needed to do it at at the pac-12 level Mm -hmm. and so that that's why i left Mm -hmm. and now we're realizing that celia that's yeah we we have a chance i'm not saying we're going to i just but we have a chance we're in the conversation and yeah, and and that was uh, you know wh- why I did it, and I think we all need to continue to grow and challenge ourselves as coaches. I got to a point there, like I said, I loved it, but I was looking forward to what winning our eleventh straight championship, mm-hmm. you know, the next year, and we were always good enough to win a few games in the tournament, but you know, at some point, you just want something more. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, and and I'm glad they've continued to have great success. Mm-hmm. And Lisa, mm-hmm. who is yeah, my Lisa, assistant, one of your assistant, is phenomenal. Right? She mm-hmm. is such a great coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're better. They're more well coached now than they ever were before. <laughs> oh, but then now on. I've been allowed to do my thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so it, it was a win win in the end. Yeah. 
And I mean, you were alluded to this a little bit um, earlier when you were talking about, you know, you're a great team, but man, you have your stuff going on. You you guys have some highs and some lows and some inner team things that you had to work through. And you know, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, when you have a player of Sabrina's caliber, you know, I mean, does that bring its own set of unique challenges to to figure out a way to coach her and impl- and integrate her into a team like that? Oh no, no question about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. she uh, early on I think was was tough on some of her teammates just because she's so competitive. competitive right? She wanted to win so much, and if they didn't match that, she couldn't understand it, mm-hmm. and therefore was hard on some of those players. I think she has evolved as a player uh, and and a leader, you know, and a teammate. She's just gotten so much better, and I think Brett's really helped in that area. Mm-hmm. He's, he's been good for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and for me as a coach, I mean, it's an honor to, to, to work with her, really. And she has elevated my coaching. You know, I've, she has inspired me to work harder mm-hmm. and, and to give it everything I have. Because every once in a while, even coaches, you know, we do it for a, a living, but we just kind of can go through the motions at times. And she has challenged me to be better and to be on top of my game mm-hmm. because I know she's working her butt off. Um, and I think what she's done now is she has elevated and we've gotten the right players around her now that she's been ele- able to elevate them in, in, uh, you know, in their own, in their own mm-hmm. games. And obviously it's really helped the program, but it hasn't just been her. Yeah, but who's, she's who's been, been the some of the, Who's been some of the other Well, I think leaders. her teammate Ruthie Hebert has been, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a big part of that. She, she came in from Fairbanks, Alaska, you know, a, kind of an unknown quantity, so to speak. And has just surpassed all expectations. She's such a hard worker. Celia, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been coaching her now three years. So she'll be a senior this year. I don't think she's ever had a bad day, like, mm-hmm. in her life. Big smile, happy, great teammate. She'd do anything for anybody. Uh, she's a servant leader. Um, she just, you know, I, I think she's a big part of it. Uh, Lydia Giomi. Um, you know, was was part of that, that first big class that, that we had uh, that kind of got the program jump started. Uh, Morgan Yeager, you know, those are those are players, those are really good leaders that uh, that have now been in the program. This is their fourth year, fourth and final year. Mm. It's sad that we're going to actually see them go. Thank God, Sabrina stayed yeah, for another yeah, year, I know. which I, I think was a great decision. That. Well, yeah. but it was a good decision yeah. for her. Right. You know, I know this isn't all just about basketball, but you know, she's got a chance to be one of the most iconic players in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just was last night went up in, in Atlanta and watched Courtney Vandersloot play who I coached at Gonzaga for four years you know Courtney's the only player in division one basketball men's or women's in the history of the game that's had 2,000 points and 1,000 assists in a career wow can you believe that even to this day she's the only one um wow in in division one mm-hmm. uh but uh Sabrina is on pace a pretty pedestrian pace to be not only the second player to ever do that but to also add a thousand rebounds. Now you're talking iconic numbers, a 2,000, 1,000, 1,000 player. It's just, they don't come along very often. often. Right. And so, you know, that isn't the only reason she stayed, but I think she's got a chance to be the real face of the game, college game, and not just women's basketball. I think she's already that. Mm-hmm. I think men's basketball, she's a crossover. She has crossover appeal. You know, because of her time spent with Kobe Bryant, the shout out she gets from LeBron, and the time she spends, you know, hanging around Steph Curry, you know, mm-hmm. when he when he when he 
Instagrams out a picture with his arm around Sabrina, pointing to her with goat emojis. You know you're doing something right. right. Exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. And so, um, so I think when you say the name, you know, Sabrina, I think even men's fans know who you're talking about. They know her game. They respect her game. So, uh, you know, as a coach, it's, uh, you know, a, a privilege to coach her. I get on her. There's no question. I still get on her. I think I can still teach her things. But she's teaching me just as much. Mm-hmm. And I, and I could just, I mean, I could see, too, like, just integrating her with the team and, you know, not having these jealousies or not having, you know, and uh, like like you're saying, bring her along as a leader where she she's not building walls with her teammates but building bridges with them, you know. Yes, and that came in full effect uh, during kind of halfway through the Pac-12 this year mm. when she kind of went to the team. I still get emotional about this. And what can I do? How can I help? I mean, she, you know, became vulnerable in that moment. And I, and I thought that really strengthened us. We didn't lose again for a long, long time. And I, I thought that was a, one of those watershed moments for the, you know, for the season. Uh, we had Satu Sabali, who's maybe the most interesting player I've ever coached. Mm-hmm. She's going to be the Prime Minister of Germany mm-hmm. one day, you watch. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's so socially aware and not afraid to put herself out there and, and opine on, on really any social issue. Brilliant, obviously a great player, very talented player, and, uh, and, and a really good leader. She helped in that meeting step up, and she took a lot of ownership. And I, I thought our, our team dynamic changed that day, and, and, and we grew a ton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so thing, things happen. We go through tough times, too, even these really good teams. And well, it's how you handle them. Absolutely. And, I mean, it definitely it, um, decides the course of the ship, you know, and, and how you do, you know, handle those. Um, so I'm going to see which question I want to go with. Hope I'm not year. boring your listeners. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? This is so fun. I could talk to you all night. Um do you do you think have you always felt like you've been good at managing your team and managing your players has that been one of your gifts um like for for some coaches they have to learn the hard way you know and, and how they might deal with kids and I think even this generation you know understanding how they might be a little different and but do you feel like you've done well throughout your career and adjusting and what do you attribute that to yeah, I do. I, I, I think I have done pretty good in that area. Um, you know, I think one, I, I have a lot of weaknesses, as all coaches do. I think one of my strengths has, has always been to identify the kind of student-athlete that will work with me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, it's not for everybody. Um, but I think I have a real knack of what is going to work in not just our system, you know, playing-wise, but... Off the court, I love the interaction. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's okay. We don't have to be friends, mm-hmm. but I I like being part of their life, you know. And so when we talk family, and we've had a couple recruits that have been quoted as saying, you know, I can't really put my finger on what I what it was about it that I liked. I just felt like family when I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't feel like I was being recruited. And I, because I think I genuinely take an interest. It's not for show. It's not just to get that player. I genuinely love my players. Mm-hmm. 
And that sounds kind of sounds again kind of corny, but I really awesome. do. And when they struggle, I struggle. When they hurt, I hurt. Mm-hmm. And 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 it's real. And I, I always hope that that they can count. You know, feel like they can count on me. You know, I paid for for kids' books in graduate school. You know, not at the same school. Their eligibility was done. Okay, I don't, I don't need you know them to come down on me. But you know, and helped with rent. You know, as they they're starting to struggle. You know, that's just part of what you do. You know, I think as a coach, you're invested not just for the four years they're there. They see through that BS. If if, if you can't fake that, we can't. You know, the time we spend and that that the. the the high level intensity that surrounds the games and the, you know, and the, the pressure that you go under as the Division One athlete, you can't fake that kind of uh, love and care of your team, and so it has to be genuine. And I hope they feel that and see that because, and thank God for my wife; she's the one that, you know, has really helped me in that area mm-hmm. and, and get better. Yeah, so, I don't know what your question was. No, it's okay. I, I kind of okay. rambled on that one. No, you're great. You're great because uh, when I asked. Julie Shaw, who is one of your former assistants yeah. at Gonzaga, mm-hmm. and I asked her, uh, you know, for a word to describe you, um, authenticity was the word that she used. You know, Kelly's Kelly. He's so genuine. He's so authentic, and um, she totally described you the way that you're talking. Like, you know, and, and I think, I think that's to me sometimes the mistake that a lot of younger coaches make. You know, they're not themselves. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're trying to be something that they're not, you know. And to be honest with you, it's probably cost me some wins mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe I had some teams that I've always felt that we've maximized the potential for the most part. But maybe it cost me, you know, a, another Final Four in a couple of those Elite Eight years or maybe a national championship. But I wouldn't trade it. You know, I try to balance it best I can, but to me, the personal side is more important than that basketball side, and I'm not going to change. Mm-hmm. You know, and well, you've done a pretty good well, job finding well, kids that fit. I'd like to think so, but oh, we yeah. still we still haven't reached. You know, I, yeah. and, and not that that's the be all end all, but you know, I, I still would would mm-hmm. you know long for for an opportunity to win a, a championship. I think it would be real special, not necessarily for validation, but just to know you did it, you oh, know, no, and did sure. it with this group, and for sure. uh, yeah. So, so when you when you think back on that whole experience, and you've had some time now to reflect on it, you know, a little bit, is there anything that's kind of come up in your reflections besides I want to get back there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, well, the one thing I've learned that people got to just settle down a little bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I bet at least three to five times a week. Somebody will come up to me and say, "Hey, we got our tickets to the to New Orleans," and it's like, "Well," and I say the same thing. Well, I, I hope we're there. I, it's hard. I think they just assume because we've gone Elite Eight, Elite Eight, now Final Four, and we've got you know most of these these players back. That oh well, that's just going to be natural. It's hard to get there. It is hard, and uh, I mean, you know you had to get you had to go through Mississippi State to get there. Like that was yeah. That oh, that's was, never. Yeah. That's no. Problem. That's hard. You know that. That's so hard. just the 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 assumption that this is what we're going to do, and then unfortunately, then if it doesn't, you know, I've already read some things out there that if we don't get there, would be a, it would be a failure. Mm-hmm. Baloney. You know yeah. what? Baloney. Get in the ring yourself, pal. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and let, let's let's let us judge you. I, I just I don't look at it in those terms. I that's why I admire somebody like Gino or or Muffet McGraw, you know, who you know they have those expectations every year, and um, that's got to be hard. Yeah, for you know, sure. They lose, you know, Gino loses one game, and it's like, well, what happened? No, so how do you think you'll manage that expectation as you move through the year? Like, you're just going to be Kelly? You're just going to be... I don't just... know. Yes. And actually, I think that's definitely one of my strengths. I just don't let that affect me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to use the term ignore the noise. Mm-hmm. You know, just ignore it. Mm-hmm. You know, we know we're, we have high expectations of ourselves. We don't need them. And, and the honest truth is we're playing for each other. We're playing for the teammates. We love our fans. We're not playing for the fans. Mm-hmm. You know, and that might sound harsh. And no, we're playing for each other. We're playing for the team. And, um, and, and really, that's, that's all that matters. So, uh, you know, whatever the expectations externally that we might get, not a heck with that. Right? Let's not worry about it. We're going to ignore it mm-hmm. and just proceed. Did you feel like at all this phenomena that some people talk about, that when you finally get to the Final Four, like you feel like you, that, was the, that was the achievement, <laughs> Getting to the final four, did you feel any of that at all? I, I was expecting to, and I did not. Oh, great. I did not. And I don't think my staff did either. They, we all talked about that. It's mm-hmm. funny you bring that up. Mm-hmm. It just was another game. You mm-hmm. know, you don't, you, obviously there's more pomp and circumstance surrounding it and everything, but again, we tried to ignore it. And, and as a coach, you've got your head down. You're trying to you know, prepare for that next opponent. So it was... Yeah, it it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. How's that? That's great. Other than when I got there, we had a party, right, with all the teams a couple of nights before the game. And that week leading up to the Final Four, Coach Ariyama had come out and said, you know, coaches are afraid of their players. Then Coach McGraw came out and said she would never hire a man and we need more women coaching. And and so at that party, I'm talking to Coach Gino, and I said, God, you know, this is my first time here. I just wanted to come here, lay low, <laughs> coach my team. I don't want to have to be a- answering these questions. Well, what did you think about what Coach Gino said? Or what did you think about coach, what Coach Muffet said? Yeah. And he goes, Kelly, you're a Final Four coach now. You can say whatever the blink yeah. you, you want. want. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I learned that from him. That's I still... Stayed low. That's I great. just laid low the whole time. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about Julie Shaw. And, you know, she was sharing with me a story about when she was coaching there. And Julie was struggling about coming out around her sexuality. And you've just been such a great champion for diversity. Like, I, I know you've done some PSAs for mm-hmm. the Women Basketball Coaches Association and and things so thank you for that and um but she was she was talking about the story about you used to walk all over spokane like you'd walk you know <laughs> i'm every, a walker you're well, me too <laughs> i walk the campus walk every night at oregon and i've had some several security guys stop me from time to time hey coach how's it look Did everything look good because <laughs> i live three blocks from the campus oh, so i just you? love oh, walking nice. it at night that's nice yeah so Julie's like one day, you know, you said, "Hey, come on, Julie, come walk with me." You know, I want, I want to get to know you better. You know, and and she said that you started walking, and then you were just asking her stuff about her life and whatnot, and and so she knew because you were being so genuine and so authentic with her. And when you asked her, "Are you are you dating anybody, a, a man or a woman?" 
And she thought, well, when he used that inclusive language, <laughs> how could I not tell him, you know? And, and so, you know, to your credit, you know, she said that it was just really made it better for her because she was, I mean, I met her at the Coaches Academy and she was really struggling inside about all of it. Like, can I be who I am and coach? Mm-hmm. And because uh, she really was loving the coaching aspect of it. And, and so um, do you what is it like that has made you inclusive have you always been inclusive it's just were you that how you were raised or how has that evolved in you well my dad was one of the two or three democrats in the state of utah so we i grew up in salt lake city and that's about as conservative a place as you're ever gonna find right uh but no we you know my dad loved everybody and and uh i i just have it's never been something that has ever been an issue with me like ever and mm-hmm. you know love is hard to find mm-hmm. and and my goodness if you know if you find it within the same gender then god bless you i think mm-hmm. i think it's great I, I just have never been hung up on it and uh, i think again yeah, you know when you're raising uh boys you know i i, I that's one of the again a, a byproduct of you know how great it's been for them to be around the team so mm-hmm. they're very comfortable with uh you know homosexual relationships and heterosexual relationships whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, just never been an issue for me and I I wish actually that more people and I'll tell you a story perhaps after Mm -hmm. uh, why they're just not more open about it and and I guess there is still you know they don't feel like they they feel like they might be judged if they tell so I'm I'm really happy that you, you told me that you know Julie felt fine about Mm-hmm. about sharing that mm-hmm. you know when we have get togethers and parties I always I've always said you know bring your significant others uh, you, you, the, the more the merrier we're mm-hmm. all part of the same family I love that mm-hmm. um, and there's counsel if they have relationship issues either mm-hmm. way it's fine and how do you how do you what's your philosophy because this is another hot button mm-hmm. topic is dating within the team yeah that's a tough one uh, mm-hmm. you know uh Again, it's it's something that you probably discourage because you know this breakups are going to happen. Are going to happen, you right. know. Um, but I I've just learned to to deal with that. You mm-hmm. know, it's just something you can't. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I tell our male practice players that they can't date the team. Yeah. Right. 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 And uh, and so at the same by the same token, you you don't want. You know, them to date each other, but you can't. You can't forbid that. You can't. Again, yeah. love is hard to find. If you find it with, within the team, right? You know, it's probably not ideal. And maybe we can, you know, you try to educate them and say, well, you know, there's so many other people out there. <laughs> <laughs> Why limit it to just the players yeah. on the team? It's so hard, though, as a college it, it coach, because you know you have them for four short years, unless they come from a, a junior college. But it's like you have them for four short years, and they just moved away from their family, and they're like, oh. You know, like the world, you know, and I want to experience everything. And then, and especially if you were you know, gay and at home in high school and you weren't really comfortable with that or your family wasn't okay with that. Yeah. And then you go to college and you feel a little bit more freedom, you know, and so I just... It's a great time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a juicy time, isn't it? It's such a great... It is. <laughs> it's so juicy. You know, they are becoming who they they're going to become, you know, that's mm-hmm. it. So many, the world's open to them. Yeah. And, uh, and sexuality is part of it. Yeah. You know, a big part of it. And, uh, you just, yeah, you, you, you love them. You love yeah. them for who they are. I just, uh, well, just, I, I just, don't we waste too much time in life about on, on these kind of issues? Absolutely. You know, just 
just love them and accept them and mm-hmm. you know bring them in, in into you and and once you get to know people you don't that doesn't even become the central part mm-hmm. of how you feel about them yeah or think of them yeah it's funny I had this poster that I used to put in our women coaches academy classroom and it was this white girl hugging us black girl and they were were like this and the the quote said prejudice rarely survives experience and you know it's basically saying like once you get to know somebody and you learn to love them you you love them for who they are you know it's kind of you you drop those prejudices you drop some of those biases you know and it's like true and I think but I I really appreciate that in you um not only because I think like this the, the topic of, you know, never hiring another ma- male coach. I, I feel like this is the wrong conversation. I, I don't, I, I really do admire Muffet as a coach. Yeah, I don't too. think that's the answer. I think we have to look at how, why are women leaving coaching? First of all, like, why aren't they staying in the profession? There's a lot of men who have dedicated their lives to women, mm-hmm. women's basketball or women's sports. Um, and I think you've obviously been a mentor for a lot of women going into coaching, you know? So it's kind of like yeah. my issue is how do we get women coaching men? How do we help them stay in the profession on the women's side? Um, and we have a lot of women coaches that hire male assistants, you know? So it's like this is a really mixed bag to me. It is. And, and I wish that, you know, so the, the NBA barrier has broken down mm-hmm. a little bit. And I think you're going to see a floodgate. I, I truly do. I think that's going to be common on every team now. I would like to see the college men's basketball do that. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. You know, a lot of the young men in, in, in some of the, the, the programs, you know, come from, you know, where the mom is the central figure in the home. They they you know, the the father perhaps is out of the picture because maybe they're working so much or they're just out of the picture, out of their lives. I would think that uh, a, a, a woman with, you know, some motherly instincts or whatever, you know, a mom, mm-hmm. right, who knows basketball would be a, a huge asset to any program. Mm-hmm. You know, Coach Cal, if, hired, if, she, if he hired my assistant Jody, she would help him mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. help those guys. They would have a, a mother figure to come and talk to and be with. And, you know, um, I, I just, I don't know why that hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I know there's been some here or there, maybe Bernadette Maddox, I think, was, yeah, with, was one for, Kentucky. W- I think for a while. I there's a woman at Misha Curry. At, at Maine. Sorry. Yeah, she played for the Ducks. Oh, did she yeah. really? She's awesome. She's a proud duck. I want to do a, a podcast with her, so could you help me out? <laughs> yes, I will. We'll, talk, we'll call her as well, soon as this is done. Okay, all And right. set it up. Um, yeah, I, I just think that that... That has to happen too, you're right. I think that's yeah. a, a frontier that should be uh, explored, and, mm-hmm. and my guess, it'll have positive um, benefits. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it'd be great if every team in our country had a positive male and a positive yeah. female role model on the staff, you know, and regardless of the gender of the team, because I think they both bring qualities that if you want to be a healthy yeah. guy you want to be both competitive and compassionate mm-hmm. right well you know, so i'm going to tell like, you I'll tell you something you know in in all my years of coaching all the way up until i got to oregon you know i had never hired a male coach mm-hmm. right toriano towns who's jay who's married to jr Payne mm-hmm. at, at colorado 
kind of morphed into the job. He kind of just kept showing up, and then at some point I put him on the payroll because he was dating Jr. Great young man, by the way. He was dating Jr. And, uh, but when I got to Oregon, Mark Campbell was the first male I, I'd hired, and, and he was just a great recruiter. He'd been at Oregon State. He knew the conference, and so that's why I reached out to him. And um, and I'm glad I did because he's been he's done a great job. He yeah. is just phenomenal. <laughs> Well, when Nicole Powell, who was on my staff until two years ago, was offered the head job at Grand Canyon University, mm-hmm. you know, her hometown, she took the job and uh, is going to be a great coach, by the way. Mm-hmm. Nicole Powell's, I think, are really a star in our business. Mm-hmm. Well, I had another young man, Chavi Lopez, who had been our video coordinator and is just a basketball junkie. He's from mm-hmm. Spain and he knows everybody in Europe, et cetera. I was really torn. Because now if I, if I elevate him to an assistant and he had earned the position, I have three males on my staff. Mm-hmm. I, I was torn. And it was one of the hardest decisions I've, I've ever made. But I thought, you know what? He has earned it. Mm-hmm. What kind of message am I sending right. if I now hire somebody because of their gender? And there would have been equally good people, people to, to hire. And I elevated him. And, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I love my staff, mm-hmm. but I'm uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Just to, 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 to be completely honest with mm-hmm. you. Um, but I think I did the right thing. Yeah. And he's earned it, and he's proven to, to be a great uh, addition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so when I hear those comments, it's like, well, yeah. every situation's different. Right. And, right. and, and I think you can still mentor in a positive way. And a few of our players were asked at the Final Four about what Coach McGraw had said. And I thought they answered well. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that, you know, Coach, he has no issues there. You know, he, he respects women. And, and, and they, they actually said that he could be even a better advocate for the issue than, mm-hmm. than some women. Mm-hmm. Because he's a guy, he's yeah. coming at it from that angle. So I tried to then lead credit, lead, wait, lend credibility to what they're saying, right. and, I, and I try to be a champion mm-hmm. for for you know for everybody. Yeah, I I totally, I, so, I really do respect that. You know, I, I I definitely agree with you, and I think, and I agree with your players. Like, I, I think if you ever want to change, and to me, women coaching men or women in coaching period a lot of times feels like a civil rights movement in many ways and I don't think there's a really any type of civil rights movement whether it was for African Americans whether it was for women whether it was for gay um, people for their rights you never were able to achieve those rights without the help of the people who have the power and the privilege you know you would be able to get me in doors that I can't get into you know, you would. I don't know. You no, seem to no. be pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty good to do probably anything you wanted to do. Well, I'd love to think that, but it's not true. So, but it's, but it's that's what I'm saying. It's like we need male advocates to help. Yeah. You know, no, get no. break down some of those barriers for sure. So. Well, you got one here. So if you ever need anything, I'm putting it out here for your audience now. So anything you need. Okay. For anything. You you um, are going to be Not sorry. Just a, You're going to be sorry you said no, that. No. You know what, though? I'm all in, man. Uh-huh. I'm all in. All right. All right. So. I'm seeing the end of my career here. Okay. So okay. I, I got to make like the time it. worth I, it. I like it. 
All right, so I'm going to give you a couple quick hitter questions, like that are just, you know, oh, rapid okay. fire, rapid so fire. So what you're saying is you want me to quit talking so damn No, no. <laughs> answer them succinctly. Seriously, I okay. would talk to you all night. Right. I mean, no, this likewise. is so fun. Likewise. Okay. Um, what is a common mistake that you think a lot of talented athletes make? They don't work hard enough because they think they're already good. Okay. Great coaches, you're going to fill in the blank here, okay? Oh, okay? Great coaches know how to blank. Bring out the best in their athletes. Okay. Do you have a mantra that you live by? Uh, a couple. Number one, professionally, we will never lose because we were not prepared. Perf uh, personally, no success can compensate for failure in the home. Mm. Good one. Keeps like me that. grounded and being a good dad and husband. Yeah, for sure. Besides exercise, what's a healthy part of your daily ritual? Wow. Besides exercise, Besides exercise as you can I'm tell, the I can probably <laughs> exercise even more. Um, I uh, uh, really like spending time with my boys. They they're mm -hmm. just they energize me. Mm -hmm. um, and I I watch. Uh, the Office is my guilty uh, pleasure. Yeah. Okay. Good. And Bachelor in Paradise. <laughs> <laughs> if you're like gonna really admit I, it, yes. Bachelor in Paradise. Don't don't spread that I around. Know, I know it's right it's here right. for everyone. I, I can to edit hear. it out if you want me to. No, it's all right. Um, my biggest challenge in my current position is probably expectations. Expectations. Yeah. yeah. yeah I would say that that's a. Um, what do you have a favorite podcast besides mine? What, what, what? Well, this has gone way. Uh, you know, I, I haven't really gotten into podcasts. I've I've heard some. Oh, okay. I, and okay. I wish I, I would. Right. I'm a music. I, I actually listen to music. Okay. All right. More. Who's your favorite band? Uh, I All right. Top three. Play. Okay, Fleetwood Mac. Okay. This right. is yeah. number one. I love okay. you too. Uh, and I I actually grew up loving Billy Joel. And Prince. Mm -hmm. You want me to keep going? Yeah, I, I love some, I You know who I really like, and this would is going to shock you? Yes. Uh, Neil Diamond oh, yeah. and Elton John. I love I, <laughs> I could love listen all to those guys. guys all the time. All the time, yeah. We're, we're from the same era. Yeah. I have a well, you know, one so. of my biggest regrets is that I never saw Prince live. Yeah. I sure wish I would have done that. And Michael Jackson, I wish I would have seen yeah. at some point live. Yeah. God dang it. My, my brother-in-law is the huge... The, biggest Prince fan I've ever ever seen in my life like he was devastated when he died like yeah. oh but he, yeah, he was he, talented he Boy, was he was, talented. was so talented so um, if you could have lunch with anyone dead or alive who would that be my favorite athlete of all time was Muhammad Ali mm. uh, Bill Gates mm. would love to sit down Barack Obama admire mm -hmm. a ton you know who I heard the other night on a, uh, do you ever watch, I would love David Letterman to just mm -hmm. hang out with him. I'd love to ha have dinner with him cool one night. I know. Like, have you seen his new um, uh, series on Netflix? I have not. He, I, I watched a couple episodes on mm -hmm. my, on my way out here mm -hmm. to the, to the, to the South. He did one with Melinda Gates. <sighs> she so is good. my new idol. Mm. I love her. So he's on. It's on Netflix. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, he has. He does about six episodes a, a year, mm -hmm. and he's done. You know, Barack Obama last year. He did Zach Galifianakis. I didn't really mm -hmm. like that one, but Melinda Gates was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, um, I've heard. I've, I've well heard worth it. On an interview with it was like it was her and Oprah and one other person, Jeez. and it was really great. It was a really great talk. It's a Mount Rushmore. Right yeah, I know, there. right? You throw in Michelle Obama. And <laughs> well, maybe it was Michelle Obama. It could have been her. And yeah. Ellen. Oh, he did one with Ellen. Oh, it was, okay. It was great. That's in the yeah. new season. Okay. So it's called uh, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. Introduction. All right. And uh, yeah, well worth it. All right. Last after you do your podcast, cast. after you listen to this podcast, <laughs> then get on to Netflix and okay. watch David Letterman. I'll do it. And you guys do it. All right. So I'm going to end this um, interview asking you, who in your life inspires you? Uh, my wife. Mm. Uh, my, my boys. Uh, my team, definitely. You know, all the, the coaches that I've worked with that mm-hmm. inspire me. I try to keep in touch. I don't know. That's well, a lot. I, I, think, I think, Kelly, I just want to say I'm so glad that I had an opportunity to meet you. And keep doing the love, man. Keep spreading the love. <laughs> and I, I, it's, I'm so glad that there's yeah. coaches out there like you because, you know, we need more people that are just loving their kids and loving the game, loving what they're doing, you know, loving the yeah. people around them. And... Um, I just really do appreciate that about you, and I and I so appreciate you taking yeah. time to talk to me. Well, thank you. It was an honor, and uh, we had never met. I know before I today, know. and I feel like I know you like you're I, my buddy. I know. Like I know. Let's go. Let's go. I know. We, we so. yeah, we should. We should. This so, was great. But thank you so much. And I wish good, you the best in your your group. You. I wish your organization the best. Sounds okay. like you're doing great work. I tried yeah. to read up on it. Yeah. You sent me some uh, yeah. some info, and uh, and then I talked to Julie a little bit. Yeah. So. Well, good luck with your season and your expectations. Thank you. And I'll, I'll definitely, you've got the duck fan in me. Let's go. All go right. ducks. <laughs> All right. Hi, coaches. Thank you so much for joining us on this Coaches on the Rise episode. There's a few little things that we'd really like to ask you to do for us that might seem little, but they're huge for True North Sports. First, if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe. And we'd really like to hear what you have to say about our podcast by writing a short review. The second thing is please share our podcast with other coaching colleagues that you have. And the third thing is join us on social media. Follow the different programs, um, things that we're offering through True North Sports for all coaches of all sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. And until next month, keep shining bright, coaches. Coaches.